Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek here with Figured Out Baseball. Uh, we've got a Figured Out Baseball podcast today with a returner to the program. And if you have not uh, listened to his first podcast, I certainly would recommend doing so. But we're joined by Jason Burke today. Uh, he's a good friend of mine who's also the head coach at Lander University, a Division One school. I'm sorry, Division Two school in South Carolina. Uh, I've known Coach Burke for for quite a few years, and uh, he's he's one of my favorite people to talk to. And I think he's he's a great person to have on this program. He he offers a ton of great info. He's not afraid to share the things that he's doing, and uh, I just think he's he's a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, once I get him fired up on some certain subjects, which is not easy, not hard to do. Uh, I'll give you a little background on Coach Burke in case you had not listened to the first podcast with him. Just let you get to know him a little bit and know you know where he comes from, a little bit about his resume. He actually, so he's the head coach at Lander. He actually started his playing career at Lander University as well and finished his playing career at Southern Wesleyan University, also in South Carolina. He graduated from Southern Wesleyan in 2004. In his coaching career, he's had 13 total pitchers sign pro contracts. He is a primary pitching coach in addition to being a head coach currently. Started his coaching career in uh, 2006. He was at Wofford uh, Wofford in South Carolina, which is a Division One school. He was there in the springs of 2006 and 2007 as an assistant coach. His 2017 won the conference tournament and had a chance to participate in an NCAA regional. In the springs of 2008 through 2011, he was the pitching coach at Gardner-Webb University, a Division One school in North Carolina. His 2011 team went to the conference championship game. They finished in the top 100 RPI for the first time in school history. They finished that year with a 34-23-1 and and record. That was the most wins since Gardner-Webb went Division I. They also tied the school record that year with 16 saves. While at Gardner-Webb as an assistant coach, Coach Burke got his master's degree in sports science. Uh, he was an assistant coach. Then he went back to Wofford as an assistant coach and the pitching coach from 2012 through 2016. During his time there, he had six players drafted and another player drafted in 2018 who Coach Burke recruited and coached uh, for the first two years of his career. In Wofford baseball history, Wofford's been around for quite a while. In Wofford baseball history, there have been 16 players drafted. Seven of those players were pitchers who were coached and recruited by Coach Burke. Um, during his time at Wofford, he had four pitchers chosen to the all-conference team. I'll kind of give you some year-by-year -year highlights. In 2012, he had a pitcher that set a school record with 107 strikeouts. The team had a 4.79 ERA that year. That was only the second time in Wofford baseball history that the pitching staff had an ERA under five, and that was the lowest ERA since 1983. The pitcher set a school record that year with 416 strikeouts. You're going to hear that. Uh, a couple more times throughout this bio. In two, 2012, his, uh, his pitching staff also held opponents to a 255 opponent batting average. That was the lowest since Wofford went Division I. That year, they had a pitcher drafted in the 15th round. In 2013, Coach Burke's pitcher struck out 448 hitters. That was another new school record in that category. That year, he had a pitcher drafted in the 36th round. In 2014, he set the school record. Uh, the team set the school record with 32 wins. That was the first winning season at Wofford since 1992. That year, they also led the conference with 496 strikeouts, another new school record in that category. That year, they were seventh in the country, NCAA Division I, with 8.4 strikeouts per nine as a team. In 2015, Wofford set a new school record winning 39 games. 
Uh, they finished second in the conference that year with 503 strikeouts, another new school record for team strikeouts. That year they were third in the conference with a 491 ERA. That was only the second time in the last 30 years that a Wofford team had an, had an ERA under five. Um, you had a, a pitcher that year who led the conference with 10 wins. You also had a pitcher that year drafted in the seventh round. That was the highest draft pick out of Wofford since 2007. Had another pitcher drafted that year in the 29th round. That was the first time in school history that two players had been drafted in the same year out of Wofford, and both happened to be pitchers. The 29th rounder also set a school record with 15 saves that year. In 2016, the team won 30 games. That was the third consecutive year that Wofford won 30 games or more. They finished, uh, team finished second in the conference that year with 470 strikeouts. In 2016, you coached a pitcher who led the conference with 103 strikeouts. That pitcher was a 29th rounder. That same year, you had uh, you you coached a pitcher who led the conference in saves. That guy was a sixth round draft pick, and he became the highest draft pick out of Wofford since 1983. 2016 was also the second time in school history that there were two players drafted in one year, and both again were pitchers. Uh, in August 2016, Coach Burke was named the head coach at Lander. He's currently in his third season there, leading that program. And uh, Coach Burke, pumped to have you on the program today and uh, just excited to spend some time with you personally. I always enjoy catching up with you and, and really enjoy getting into some baseball talk with you. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. And uh excited to uh, be here and talk some pitching today. Yeah, so today we're really going to focus on pitching. That's uh you know been what what coach Burke has has kind of focused on in addition to being the head coach. You you're still the pitching coach at Lander this year, correct? Yes, sir. I absolutely. It would be uh be hard for me to give that up, man. That's uh that's my passion. That's what I like to do and um you know helping these guys develop and you know, whether it's velocity or, or the actual, you know, stuff coming out of their hands, you know, that's that's something I take a lot of pride in and, and love to love to help them with. Yeah, and as someone else who uh, I've come in the same boat, I guess, when you when you've got something that you're really passionate about, it's hard to give it up and it's hard to hard to expect someone else to put the same amount of time and effort and passion into it that you do. So uh, I can certainly see how that's difficult. Um, I guess I kind of want to jump right into it just with, um, you know, it's right now it's March 6th. Um, high school programs around the country, depending where you live, you know, in South Carolina, you guys are probably probably playing high school games down there in Pennsylvania. Um, well, this is right around the time uh, that that teams are allowed to start full practices, like mandatory practices, and then high school in Pennsylvania, high school games will start in late March. Um, the like usually the last week of March. So depending where people are in the country, they they're probably kind of on ramping, kind of uh, getting either getting ready for a season or still early in their season. So I want to kind of jump in right there, uh, Burke, and just ask you from a high school standpoint or from a college standpoint. I guess it doesn't matter. Or or heck, if a guy plays you know little league, it's important to condition your arm to get ready for the season. You know, in college. Uh, there's a lot more games on the schedule than there are in typical high school seasons, but high school guys also play high school and they usually jump right into summer ball with very little break in between. Sometimes guys then go right into fall ball again with very, very little break in between uh, sometimes between summer and fall. So right at the beginning here, well, let me actually preface with this question. Do you prefer and think it's a smart thing to do for pitchers at any level to take a certain amount of time off throughout the year where they're not throwing at all? And if you do, what is the recommended time period there? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, I actually like multi-sport athletes. I mean, it's it's kind of funny you ask. Um, 
you know, about high school ball down here in South Carolina. You know, they, they just opened up, you know, this past week, week and a half. I was actually at a high school game yesterday watching one of our commits um, for the 2019 class pitch. And, you know, to me, you know, I love multi-sport athletes. I think it's great. And I, and I think one thing that it does, Stanek, is it, is it allows those guys to take a break from throwing and not feel like they're taking a break from getting better. And, you know, I think that the time off should be dependent on a lot of factors, man. How much you've thrown, how long you've been throwing, um, what your body composition looks like. I mean, when you're talking to high school kids, you're talking a lot of times, you know, guys that don't have what I would consider baseline strength. Um, you know, they don't – they can't deadlift a certain amount of weight compared to their body weight. They can't, you know, back squat it. They can't do a lot of pull-ups. Um you know, physically, they're just not the same guy that that I'm coaching. And, and the, the funniest way to say this is I took my little eight-year-old with me to the game last night. You know, we're there for 30 minutes, and he's like, Daddy, these guys look small. It's his first words. And we've been there for 20 minutes. And it's the first thing you noticed. Um, and they, they are small compared to what a normal college team would have. And that's what I had to explain to him. Well, son, they're, you know, 15 to 17 years old for the most part. Um you know, so like, you know, I think that is a is a large factor in that standing. I mean, if you if if people wanted just a baseline time off, I would say four to six weeks to me is good. But four to six weeks without touching a baseball is not going to magically make you throw harder. It's not going to magically make your arm feel better. Um, you know, while you're having time off, you have to address the things that need to be addressed. And you know, I think the biggest mistake that young guys make is they just shut down just to shut down. Um, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm supposed to take four to six weeks off. You know, some coach told me that, whether it's me or somebody else, and that's all they take from the conversation. Um, you know, I think your posture, your scap strength, your shoulder strength, your range of motion, your mobility, um, you know, all those go into, you know, all, all those factor into whether you're going to feel great, whether you're going to be able to take velocity jumps, whether you're going to feel beat up. Um, you know, and I think getting an assessment of where your body is, you know, from a professional, whether it's a pitching coach or whether it's, a, you know, a fitness guy or whatever it may be, you know, I think that can be of huge benefit, especially to a younger guy that is taking some time off. Um, you know, and, and that, that's where I would say with that. And then, you know, as far as on ramping and getting ready for the season, you know, the, the quickest way for a pitcher to get hurt or to get injured is to throw too much too quick throw the, the workload gets too big for them too fast and you know you look at major league baseball even and you know i think it's 80 percent of pitching injuries happen within the first two months of the season or during spring training um you know it's because they've they've taken on too much too quick they didn't do what they were supposed to do you know over the months leading up to spring training and a little bit of that's probably on some big league teams because some of them do a very poor job of sending guys home with throwing programs um, for while they're at home, and I'm not bashing them. I just I have a lot of minor leaguers, and I see what they send them home with, and some of it terrible. Um, you know, and then the flip side of that is the, the teams that are doing a really good job of that, some of the guys just don't do it. Um, you know, if you're a coach listening to this, you, you know that. You've got guys that you know are going to do everything and more that you give them, and you've got guys that, that aren't going to do it. Um, you know, a simple, easy way for a coach to combat that, in my opinion, is have your guys send video. Um, you know, nowadays everybody's got a phone that has video on it for the most part, um, or their parents do at least. And, you know, I make my pictures over Christmas break. They have to send me video of them throwing twice a week. Well, 
you know, twice a week is not going to not going to fix everything. They need to sell way more than that over Christmas break. But, you know, at least when they know they have to send me video, most of the time they're going to do the other throwing just because they don't want the video they're sending me to not be good. Um, you know, so I think there are some ways you can combat that and help. Um, but the biggest thing is easing your way into your throwing program and not adding too much too quick. So when guys are getting prepared for their spring season, um, you know, you, you, this might be a little bit different for everybody, and I'm sure that it is, and, and probably depending whether you want to work a guy as a starter or reliever. But can you kind of walk me through the early part of the throwing programs that you put guys on, like when they, they've taken their time off and now they're going to start getting ready for their spring season? Can you at least walk me through the beginning stages of that and kind of like how often they should be throwing, how quickly um, – you know, they're going to jump into long toss and, and stretching that long toss out. You know, at what point are they going to get on a mound or a flat ground for the first time? How quickly are they going to progress their pitch counts? Can you just kind of walk me through that, uh, the yeah, early absolutely. stages there? Um, you know, every single one of my guys at the end of the fall when they shut down, which is usually right after our last fall inner squad, the fall world series, whatever, unless they're a guy I want to work on some stuff with, for a few more weeks, that's when I shut them down, which would usually be sometime early to mid-November. Um, you know, and then they're going to shut down for, for X number of weeks. Like I said, some of my guys only shut down for two to three weeks. Some of my guys shut down for four to six. Um, you know, some of my guys hardly shut down at all. They do what's called an active shutdown, which means they very lightly toss the baseball a few times a week. And I'd be more than happy to tell you how I decide who's going to do what. Um, obviously, that'd be a little different question. Um, but if I was going like a general generic you know, answer, or if I was writing a book and I had to put it in there, you know, here's some milestones that, that I would put in there um, as a checkpoint for guys. Um, you know, the first thing is, you know, I would start off with two, two to two and a half weeks during my shutdown of what I call arm prep. And then arm prep could be some J-band work. It's, it could be some posture work. Um, it's basically prepping my shoulder to start throwing. Um, you know, the throwing motion you know, if, if, if people know anatomy at all in this, you know, it's, it's going to be an internal rotation of your arm to an external rotation of your shoulder um, pretty quickly, um, which is basically the ball laying back to throw. So, like, you're, you're basically forcing your arm to go back further than it really wants to go for a natural motion, and then it's quickly going from external rotation to internal rotation, which would be when you're trying to release the baseball and you're finished. Um, you know, with that in mind, you want to ease your way into that. And arm prepping to me is huge. Um, you know, we use some J-bands for arm prepping. The, guy, the guys that we have that use uh, weighted balls and enjoy the driveline type program, you know, they'll start tossing those. Um, you know, we'll use some body blade or some shoulder tube or uh, shoulder sphere. I mean, we got tons of little implements that our guys would use uh, to help with that arm prep and get ready. That usually lasts anywhere from a week to two weeks. And then they actually pick up a baseball. Um when they pick up a baseball, usually they start with three days a week, sometimes four. Most of the time it's anywhere from 60 to 90 feet, and we're just playing catch. Um, I've, I, I tell every one of my guys I hate using feet or distance for throwing because I think intensity matters more than distance because I could sit there and flip a ball 150 feet and do that at 50 miles per hour, which 50 miles per hour for me would probably be about, I don't know, 55 to 60% of my max velocity at this point. Um you know, so I think using intensity for a mature player, I think, really helps them. Using distance for a kid who really doesn't understand or feel that make a little more sense for them. Um, anyway, the first week would be three three to four times a week, 60 to 90 feet. 
If you're going with intensity, be somewhere around 60% intensity. Obviously, you can slap a radar gun on them for one or two throws just to give them an idea of where they're at. Um, the next week will probably be more of a four days a week, uh, maybe five if we really wanted to stretch it. Um, and we would go somewhere between 60 and 120 feet. And the reason I always leave that 60 down there at the bottom is because some days you're not going to go back as far as other days. You're going to start to stagger those days, especially as you get into the third week of your throwing program. Um, the next one would probably be more of a 60 to 150. You know, that 60 to 150, you're starting to stretch it out a little more. At this point, you're probably at 75% intensity or so, maybe 80%, which is still pretty low when you think about a max velocity. Um, you know, if you had a kid throwing 100, that would mean it's on 80 miles per hour, which is, you know, not very hard for a kid that can throw 100. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, good to keep in mind. And then the next week would be when I was starting to get off the mound. It'd be somewhere between 60 and 180 feet. Um, 180 feet is when I usually start to get guys off the mound, whether it's a short box type or a full distance. Again, they're probably still only about 80, 85%, maybe 90% um, if they get ready quicker. And then the next week we would go back to 200. And then once they've shown they can do the 210 feet and they can throw five to six days a week, then I would do long toss, um, you know, on their own. They can go back as far as they want to go at that point. Um, we're going to stagger those days with, um, you know, with some recovery days, which will obviously be a really light toss type day or just some recovery work with the weighted balls, depending on, you know, what worked better for their arm action, their delivery, and, and how they recover. Um, but that would be kind of a generic template of what I would use and branch off of that for each individual pitcher. Very good. <clears throat> All right. So we've kind of. Sorry, that, that was a lot. That was a lot of info. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I'm taking notes. Uh, okay. So we've gotten to, gotten to the season now or, or close to. So when you are, when you're in the season, and these are things that I experienced like as a high school head coach, you know, I, I was never a pitching coach and I was sort of, uh, not flying blind, but sort of like feeling my way along throughout the season. And I had a pitching coach at when I was a high school head coach that, that was pretty good. I, I think he had a pretty good feel for things and pretty good understanding of things. And I really let him kind of dictate what to do with our pitchers, but I'd like to hear it from you, uh, and, and how, how you decide this. So when you get into the season, you have guys that are, you know, in college, you probably have more uh, strict roles with your guys. Like some guys know their starters. Some guys know their relievers. Some guys might bounce around or like in one week, if you have an extra game, obviously somebody's got to make a spot start. That kind of stuff happens. But, um, you know, but but it's kind of for, for relievers, especially it's unpredictable when they're going to throw. You know, they know when they might throw, but they don't know actually when they're going to get in the game. How do you as a pitching coach decide? when guys are going to throw bullpens or flat grounds during the game. And if you wouldn't mind talking me through, like, your, maybe your, your starters, uh, kind of the plan that they're on, and then relievers, because, again, relievers, they, they really don't know when they're going to throw live, so they kind of always have to be ready to throw live, but at, at some point they got to throw a bullpen or a flat ground. Would you mind just kind of talking about uh, how you make those decisions throughout the season with your guys? Yeah, no problem at all. I mean, I think, you know, the reliever thing is, is I think – very different and very personal. Uh, you know, the, the guidelines I give my guys are this. Um, you know, I tell them we want to throw hard as often as we can throw hard. And you have to use some discretion with that. So, you know, a general rule of thumb, in my opinion, is once you've long tossed or, or done pull downs, which would be, you know, backing it up, getting your arm prepped uh, to throw hard, you know, maybe you back it up to 240, maybe back 
to 340 feet, depending on how much or how good your arm strength is. You know, a pull down would be taking that throw and instead of throwing it high to get to your partner in the air, almost like a rainbow, you're going to you're going to pull it down the line. And I like my guys to pull it down anywhere from 60 to about 95 to 100 feet. Um, you know, some guys start pull downs at 200 feet. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that. And again, that'd be probably a different question for a different, uh, not a different day, but maybe, you know, later on in the conversation. Um, I like you to be a little bit closer to your partner and to just give a tiny bit of that. I, I like I like for the release point to be out in front. Um, you know, I think it helps them get the release point out in front to be closer as opposed to further away. Um, and I think that correlates better to the mound and better to increased arm speed, which is obviously why you're doing the pull down in the first place. Um, but I think, you know, getting getting your guys to buy into the fact that they can throw hard pregame and still throw hard in the game is very, very hard. But once they actually see it on a radar gun, I think it is very easy for them to buy into. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I, one of the closers I had at Walford, he was a sixth-round draft pick. Um, you know, he would long toss all the time before games, and he was the guy that would ramp it up to 95, 96 miles per hour at times. And if he long tossed, you know, he may only touch 93 or 94. But in the game, you can still win with 93, 94 pretty easily um, as opposed to 95, 96. And, you know, my thing for him is, man, we're building you for the long haul. We're not building you for this one day. You don't even know if you're going to pitch this one day. So why save bullets when you don't even know you're going to throw? Um, you know, so I think them understanding that is huge. You know, some guys need one day off in between long toss days or, or velocity days, I would say. And some guys need two. Um, as a reliever, very rarely do people need three, but there are some times that they do need that. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think you're obviously rolling the die. And if they don't throw that day, and maybe it's a Friday night and they throw long toss as a reliever and, you know, some pull downs and they don't throw Friday and then they throw Saturday, obviously you got a little bit of soreness in there. And, um, you know, it could end up, you know, costing you a run or costing you some runs in that game with that with that being the case. But, again, I think you're building them for the long haul. You're not building them for that one day. Um, you know, so that that's huge for me. As far as getting off the mound for relievers, my rule of thumb is you don't want to go more than three to four days without touching the incline. Um, you know, so if you're a guy that's been three or four days since you've gotten off the incline, um, you know, you need to have some self-awareness at the college level and know that I've told you that multiple times and you just need to hop right on up there and get some work. Um, whether it's during the game, post-game, before the game. Um, you know, I think some guys can throw a short bullpen before the game and still be fine during the game, and some guys can't. Um, you know, so, again, I think it's having some self-awareness. If I was a high school coach, I would make myself an Excel spreadsheet, and I would keep up with, you know, when they're actually touching the incline. I mean, a lot of those guys are, you know, your shortstop, your third baseman, your center fielder. Um, you know, I think you've got to be careful with how much they're doing that. But, again, I would try, if they're a reliever, to make sure they're touching the incline some, somewhat of every three to four days. And the biggest thing for the reason why is recovery purposes. And I know that sounds crazy um, when I first say it, but if they're not used to being off the mound, but once a week whenever they're throwing in the game and they're not used to a bullpen and then all of a sudden you need them twice, they're, they're going to get beat up pretty quick. And, you know, you wanting them ready for that next week, you're going to be like, man, that stinks. The kid wasn't as good this week. Well, he wasn't as good because he's not used to what the workload you gave him. Um, you know, he needs to be used to getting up on that incline every three to four days if that's eventually what you see him trying to do um, in the game. As far as the starter goes, I'll just use our Friday night guy as an example and kind of work from that. Um, you know, he's going to pitch on Friday. You know, at this point in the season, he's pretty much fully built up as far as pitch count. 
Um, you know, I keep up with high stress pitches way more than the actual pitch count. Um, you know, I think, you know, you could throw a hundred pitches and you could win that game 10 to nothing and you could never get a runner past second base, or you could throw a hundred pitches and you could win that game three to four and have runners on every single inning. And I think those are two completely different outings as far as how your arm and your body are going to respond to it. So I keep up with high stress pitches. There's no exact science to that. Um, you know, everybody's stress level with runners on or starting a game or, you know, whatever the case may be, may be a little bit different, but I think those high stress pitches will give you an indication of how sore they're going to be way better than just the generic pitch count. Um, so I'm going to go off those high stress pitches and base their week off that. Um, if the percentage of high stress pitches they had is over 25 to 30%, I'm going to go into a full blown re recover for two days. If it's less than 25%, I'm only going to go with the generic one day. Um, you know, that next day, which would be Saturday for our Friday guy, would be a full-blown recovery day. We're going to have a circuit workout type thing that he's going to go through. It's going to include some med ball stuff. It's going to include some body blade stuff. It's going to include a little bit of running stuff. It's going to include a lot of range of motion for his arm. Um, and it's basically going to help him create blood flow throughout his body and get all the blood from his legs up to his upper body. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things that your lower body contains more of, like testosterone. And if I can shoot that up to the upper body while I'm doing recovery, it will obviously help uh, help me do that. If not, then I'm not getting everything I can to recover. Um, if they had, you know, more than 25 to 30% high stress, they'll repeat that workout most likely the very next day or I'll modify it a touch to that person. Um, and they'll be very, very light on their arm. If they had less than 25% high stress, then they will then go into a toss session the next day, which would be like a mid toss. Um, you know, maybe, you know, for some of our guys, they go back to 90 to 150. For some of our guys, they'll go back to, you know, 120, 180. Um, and they're just going to stretch out their arm, um, you know, no high-intensity throws, but they might come in and do some short short work on their delivery. They might do some drill series with some weighted ball stuff. Um, they might do a little bit of spin or, or change-up catch play, um, you know, just to get a better feel for that pitch. And then for the most part, you know, the next day, which would be Monday, some of the guys are going to go ahead and throw their short box bullpen. Um, some guys like to wait till Tuesday to do it. My Friday guy this year does like to wait till Tuesday to do it. He just did his yesterday. Um, and that bullpen's really going to go off of, you know, did they have something they struggled on and we need to work on them? Or do we need to work on how they need to attack this next week and who we're going to play? Um, I do a lot of their midweek bullpen stuff out of the stretch, um, not out of the windup. And the reason I do that is, you know, most swing pitches throughout a game come out of the stretch, not out of the windup. So the more work I can get them out of that, I feel like the better prepared they are to make that big pitch when need be. Um, you know, and then they would go back into recovery mode. Uh, they wouldn't do a full recovery workout, but they would do all their recovery stuff as far as, you know, maybe they're going to floss their arm. Maybe they're going to do more activation stuff, a little bit more posture stuff, um, some gasser type conditioning to get that blood flow rolling. Um, you know, and then the very next day after that would be Thursday, which would be the day before their start. Um, really a lot of personal preference in that, but most of the time they're going to light toss, get a little bit of feel for their off-speed stuff, some really light sprints and a lot of flexibility and mobility. And then Friday they'd be right back on the mound for a start again. So just, um, you know, the times that I've we've talked, whether it's on a podcast or whether it's just, you know, kind of you and I just chatting personally, um, Prehab, rehab, you know, those are things that you you talk a lot about, obviously believe in a lot. You just talked about it now. 
and, and mobility. We'll work mobility in there as well and strength training. Um, for you talking to a high school player or a high school coach who maybe is not so familiar with that stuff, maybe not that comfortable, in your opinion, how important is that stuff for them to figure out or to get into their routine if they're going to stay healthy and going to continue to get stronger throughout the season? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. You know, at Gardner-Webb, you know, when I was getting my master's degree, part of my master's degree was a course that made me a certified strength conditioning coach. And, you know, I didn't realize how important – that stuff was to the recovery of a pitcher, to adding velocity, um, you know, until I had that class. And once I had that class, it really opened my eyes to, you know, man, there's a lot more to this than just how much weight I can put on a bar. Um, you know, I think that was how I viewed strength and conditioning was, you know, okay, can I sprint? Um, you know, can I, you know, do this workout as far as, you know, maybe, you know, some suicide type things or some agility work or, you know, poles or whatever it may be. And then, you know, okay, how can I improve my squat, bench, you know, deadlifts and hang clean? Um, you know, that was how I viewed it. And when I had that class, you know, it really opened my eyes to how does the body actually move? Like what helps me sequence up my delivery? Um, you know, what would help me with motor control, which would be, you know, in pitching terms, how do I sequence my delivery or, you know, how do I help a kid sequence his delivery for power? Um, you know, how do I work from the ground up? Um, you know, how do I recover from a soft tissue standpoint? Um, you know, so I think if you're a high school coach and you really want to learn something that's maybe a little bit outside your comfort zone or, or your box, you know, I would encourage you to dive deeper into the strength conditioning side of things. Um, you know, I think you could find – some really, really cool things that really help your players, not just your pitchers, from a recovery standpoint or from a, you know, movement standpoint on how they're able to control their bodies. And, you know, that, again, that really opened my eyes up. I had some great guys help me with that. I mean, Randy Sullivan down at the Florida Baseball Ranch um, helped me out a ton with, with learning that stuff. I've been fortunate enough to have some players uh, that went into physical therapy that have helped me out a lot with that. Um, you know, and really just, you know, surrounding myself with some good pitching guys um, at the college ranks that, you know, I've really been like, hey, Berkey, maybe you maybe you want to look more into this. Um, you know, I know you're really into velocities and, you know, how to spin the baseball and, you know, how to help kids throw harder and stay healthy. And, you know, they would they would throw me some ideas and I would, you know, try to run with it and try to, you know, learn as much as I could. So, you know, I think, you know, if I'm a high school guy, that's, you know, I would, I would definitely dive into that. I think I think you could learn some some unbelievably valuable stuff. I know we only have a few minutes left here, Coach Burke, before you've got to run, um, and I've got about uh, about thirty five questions still to ask you. So <laughs> I'm really going to have to pick and choose here where we go. Um, so I, I just kind of want to uh, I, I want to hit on some things I think are really important for people that are listening to this at this time of year, especially <clears throat> um, pitchers lifting during the season. You know, as a, as a guy that is a certified strength and conditioning coach and you really believe in that a lot, can you kind of walk us through a little bit just um, what the lifting schedule is like and, and maybe for a pitcher, maybe for a starter compared to a reliever during the season? And maybe, again, high school guys can 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 do this because obviously the the old school mentality is like not to lift during the season, especially a pitcher. You don't want to get tight. You don't want to be sore. Um, but what are your guys doing during the season? Yeah, well, my pitchers lift anywhere from two to three times a week. Um, you know, I think 
you know, I think it's important to understand that during the season, you know, we're, we're I hate to say we're not trying to make a lot of strength gains because uh, my guys lift hard. I don't want it to come off as, you know, they're not lifting hard or lifting heavy, but they're taking off some volume. So, like, if they're doing normally doing three to four sets, they're going to do two to three sets of something. Um, you know, and, and maybe they cut down the reps from six to eight to four to six. Um, you know, they're really just cutting down on some volume because the units of work they're getting on the field will cover up that volume they're not getting in the weight room. Uh, the second thing that they do a lot of is is my guys do a lot of explosive type movements and a lot of motor control movements. So like what I mean by explosive would be like a bound or a lot of banded things to where, you know, they're having to, to really explode. Uh, the next thing would be, you know, the motor control would be a lot of one, a lot of stuff on one foot, um, you know, where they're having to really control their body or a lot of stuff that's very unstable. Um, you know, I love water bag training. I wish that we had, you know, more of the, I think they're called aqua bags actually, but it's just basically like a bag that's filled up with water and air. Um, and it obviously the water kind of sloshes around as you work out and makes it to where you have to control that, um, you know, and you have to contract certain muscles. And, you know, I think those aqua bags are fantastic for guys having to control their body through an athletic movement. And whenever you're doing that, you know, that's pretty much what pitching is. Um, you think about pitching, you're on one foot a lot and you're having to control your body a lot. So in season, you know, a lot of that stuff I think is huge for guys. Um, you know, and the reason I say in season as opposed to out of season is what I said earlier. I think you need baseline strength to be able to do a lot of the things that you want to do on the mound. So if I have a guy who doesn't have that baseline strength yet, like I would assume a lot of high school kids do not, um, you know, I think that time of year is when you can really add a lot to the bar and really push them from an adaptation standpoint to adapt to that to that stimulus. You said aqua bag. Is that one of the? Yeah, yeah. You can get them on like uh, oat specialty products. Um, would have them for you. I mean, they're they're decently expensive, uh, just to be honest. But they, it's an it's called an aqua bag, I believe, is what it's called on their website. Um, and there's there's multiple ones. I mean, there's like ones that are the, like a round shape, like a med ball. There's some that are really long that have handles on them. Um, but man, I mean, you can do so much stuff with those aqua bags. Um, and I mean, anybody that's used them at all would understand the instability part of it just because that, that water is moving around the entire time you're doing a rep. Will you tell me again, Burke, where to find that? I just want to give people, maybe, maybe yeah, give them a website. What's the company that yeah. you get them? Oats Specialty Products. Um, and Oats Specialty Products has so many great pitching inventions on there. It's crazy. I mean, Stanek knows me well enough to know that I come up with some crazy ideas as far as <laughs> inventions and things like that. And, um, you know, Oats Specialty Products has endless amounts of, of toys, if that's what you want to call them, for pitchers on there. So, I mean, you could you could get on there and spend a lot of money in a, in a hurry. Um, you know, those Aqua Bags, I think they would probably run you anywhere from 60 to about 150 bucks, depending on which size and which bag you wanted. You don't want a lot of weight in them. Um, so it's not it's not like you're adding tons of water into the bag to make it super heavy. You want the instability aspect, not the heaviness. Okay. I found it, found the website. So if for anybody that's listening that's interested, it's O-A-T-E-S, Oats Specialties, S-P-E-C-I-A-L-T-I-E-S.com, OatsSpecialties.com. It's Oats with an E, O-A-T-E-S. Um, just from being on the website for about 30 seconds, like 
I, I want to get my credit card out and, and start grabbing some <laughs> stuff here. This site is awesome. Looks like it's got a lot of good stuff on it. And I was not familiar with this site ahead of time. So very good. Um, Coach Burke, do you have time for, can I ask you two more quick questions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Number one, um, it was going to be running. We, we've, uh, kind of like touched around this, but you know, pitching coaches that are out there, um, a newer school way of thinking is that long distance running is not it, not something that you want to be doing during, or I'm sorry, you know, during your season between starts after, uh, after an outing, whatever, um, you know, I've read a lot of things recently just about how that doesn't really correlate. It doesn't really help you as much as people think that it does. And it's better to do something else. Um, can you give me quickly your thoughts on, on that? Do you guys run between stars? Do you sprint? Do you, do you run distance? Do you think distance is, is helpful at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's an aspect of distance running that, that, that still correlates. You know, I'm not so new school that I don't think it correlates at all. I just think that it is, you know, there's a lot of, Thing. There's a lot of things out there that you can do that are not just distance running. Um, you know, the best way, in my opinion, to recover is to get your heart rate elevated to somewhere between 100 and 130 beats per minute um, to where you're not beating your body up. Um, you're just assisting your body with recovery by, in, by introducing blood flow and getting nutrients and oxygen to the muscles. Um, you know, we do that with some lighter sprints. Um, we do that with some gasser type activities. We do that with some circuit training stuff. Um, you know, we'll do that with some interval training um, as far as, you know, maybe a, a decent sprint, jog, a little bit of walk. And we're just trying to get them in that range of heart rate to, again, increase blood flow to get the nutrient, nutrients and oxygen to the muscle to recover. Um, you know, but I do think there's some validity to some distance running. I just wouldn't do a crazy amount of it. Um, I'm not, we don't do any running right after they come out of the game. Um, whereas I know a lot of people, you know, they stay around and do, you know, their 10 to 15 polls when the game's over. You know, I, I, I do not think that is beneficial at all. I hate to say it like that, but I really don't. Um, you know, I think that shortly after your central nervous system has been shocked with the 80, 100 pitches, I don't think it's going to do a lot other than beat you up a little bit more. Um, I think it'd be more productive the next day, to be honest with you. I think right when you come out of the game, uh, getting some nutrients in your body would be number one, in my opinion, um, you know, something that's healthy. I'm not saying go to the dugout and shove a hot dog in your mouth. Um, something, getting, getting something in your mouth that's got some nutrients, and that could be something as simple as, you know, a peanut butter and jelly. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. And then I think getting full range of motion into your arm, is is big as well. I mean, that, every one of my pitchers eats something when they come out of the game, and every one of my pitchers try to get full range of motion back in their arm as soon as possible right after coming out of the game. I think those two things are huge, and we do a lot of sprint and heart rate conditioning, which heart rate conditioning would just be getting your heart rate elevated super high for somewhere between, you know, seven and ten seconds most of the time. Um, you know, sprinting, I think, is very beneficial throughout the week for pitchers. Uh, but I think you got to pick and choose a little bit of when you do it because sprinting can, you know, it can beat you up a little bit. And I think you just got to be careful with what days you're sprinting, how much you're sprinting, how much you're beating up your body. And, you know, I think if you can do a good job of mixing and matching those things, I think you're going to benefit the most from it. Um, you know, I think a little bit of that is just personal preference. I think that's that's good. So the, so the idea, I think the old school idea of um, of distance running is kind of what you said. I, I think there people are thinking blood flow, you know, help the body recover, get the lactic acid out of there, and and your you know your words, you know, to create blood flow and get nutrients and oxygen uh, 
you know, around the circulating around the body is kind of what you're after, but you just think there's a better way to do it than straight up long distance. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the biggest knock I would have on distance running, um, if we're going to use that primarily for recovery for pitchers would, would just be exactly what I just said. I mean, you want to get the heart rate somewhere between 100 and 130 beats per minute for maximum recovery as far as the blood flow, as far as, far as the blood flow goes. And if you really look at, you know, where your heart rate gets on distance running, uh, it will get to that, but it takes a long time for it to get that high most of the time with most people that are in decent shape. Um, you know, and you're talking about coaching most of the time a 15-year-old to a 23-year-old, and they're they're usually in pretty good shape. Um, you know, and then, you know, from the other standpoint of that, you know, I'm trying to minimize the wear and tear on the body. And if you're trying to run distance, um, you know, I like to run distance personally. Um, you know, and if, you know, I ran five miles yesterday and it was 10,000 something steps. I mean, that's 10,000 times, 5,000 times per leg that I'm just beating on my joints. Um, you know, if you're trying to recover your entire body, you know, I'm not so sure that, I'm not so sure that 10,000 steps is a good way to recover. Um, you know, that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. Um, but again, I think there is a place in time that that stuff is, is very beneficial, man. Um, you know, I think that, again, you have to have some type of baseline cardio and anaerobic and aerobic state. So, you know, I do think – I don't think that it's completely obsolete like some people do. When you're doing the shorter the shorter work where you're, you're trying to get their, you know, their heart rate up quicker, how long – like what kind of duration are you talking for? How long are you going to go into uh, one of those workouts or circuits or whatever you end up doing with yeah. the guys? How long are you going to end up going into that, keeping the heart rate up? Yeah. Yeah, our heart rate, our heart rate workouts is what we call those. You know, it's going to be seven to ten second burst. Um, we're going to take usually about three times the workload as rest. So if we're going seven seconds, somewhere around 21 to 25 seconds of rest. If we're going 10 seconds, we're going to do somewhere around 30 to 35 to 40 seconds of rest. And then basically what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to go through that six to ten times most of the time. So you're going to have, you know, six to ten workload sets. Gotcha. Last question, coach, then I'll let you go. For somebody who is looking for an instructor in their area, and this may not be the time because a lot of guys are getting into high school ball, but it certainly is something that, uh, you know, throughout the summer and fall, guys are looking for instructors in their area, a pitching coach they can work with. Can you give me maybe a couple things, a couple questions they should ask or a couple things they should be looking for in an instructor to feel like, all right, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy's going to help me to get better and, and not, uh, you know, not get worse. And I can trust what he's teaching. Cause I, I think when, I think I can, you know, probably, uh, guess pretty accurately that when a, when a kid, when a young kid is going to an instructor, they're trying to gain arm strength, gain velocity as, you know, stay healthy and probably increase, uh, get their stuff to be better. Uh, is there a couple of things maybe you, you can point out that people, maybe parents should ask or, or look for when they're looking at instructors and kind of maybe picking between a couple that might be available in their area? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing that I would look for is somebody that is going to give me an assessment. Um, and what I mean by an assessment is, you know, are they actually going to check my body out from a mobility, flexibility, and strength standpoint? Um, and I'm not saying they have to be a strength conditioning coach, but when you're talking about getting better as a pitcher, I mean, if you add velocity to somebody who's not ready for velocity to be added, you know, you're basically throwing a match on a fire. Um, you know, you're – yeah, I mean, you're adding velocity, but you're increasing your chance to get hurt. And I think, you know, guys need to understand that. They need to understand that that is a huge part of what what they're trying to do is that assessment part of it. So, you know, I think that's the first thing. 
the second thing would be, you know, are they using cameras? Um, you know, I think, you know, when you're looking at a pitching motion and you're trying to do it when somebody's throwing 75 miles per hour, miles per hour even, maybe not even 90, and you're acting like you can see it all with the naked eye, I think that is very, um, very, very, very hard to do. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing that without my camera and actually looking at it, a lot of times I'm just going off, okay, well, this is what I've seen in the past when a miss is in this spot. You know, so, like, I'm basically guessing without guessing is a good way to say it. So, like, those would be the two things that I would look for. You know, is this guy, you know, really – really assessing my body and the needs that my body have compared to everybody else. And is he at least at some point in time videoing what I'm doing so that he can actually make sure that what he thinks I'm doing, I really am doing. Um, you know, those are really the two biggest things for me. If it was my son going to somebody and me spending the money, you know, that I think is where you get your biggest bang for the buck. Awesome. Really good and pretty easy to do and uh, easy conversations for people to have with, with uh, with an instructor, and hopefully they have a couple instructors around them, but if they don't, just as a little plug for the website, that's part of the reason for Figured Out Baseball is that if you don't have – either you don't have the money or the time or maybe you don't have the guy that's qualified – around you, you know, within a reasonable drive to go to, we hope to be able to offer resources on the website, on Figured Out Baseball website, whether it is pitching or whether it's, you know, on the recruiting side of things or whether it's strength training or, or whatever it may be. Um, we hope to be able to kind of offer everything people need for a, a really affordable price. And you have, you know, several different voices to hear from in different areas. So, um, you know, hopefully you have, I, I think, at least for me, really, you know, one-on-one -on -one instruction with a really good instructor, is always going to be the best way to get better. Um, but if you can't do that, I think the best way, the best thing you can do is really find somebody you can learn from online and, you know, somebody that's going to explain it in pretty good depth and, uh, and, you know, and kind of be your own coach a bit, but at least you're hearing some information that's, that's good and quality and can help you get better. So this is, um, Jason Burke, everybody. He's the head coach at Lander University, a division two school in South Carolina. Uh, coach Burke, always great to have you here and, you know, personally great to catch up with you. Um, I just enjoy spending time with you. Absolutely. Enjoy spending time with you too, Stanek, and uh, look forward to doing uh, doing more stuff on Figured Out Baseball. Yeah, man, I think we need to make this a regular thing. There's a lot of stuff we didn't get into today, so hopefully you can be uh, a regular here on the podcast at least, and at some point we'll, we'll grab some video from you. But uh, I do appreciate your time today, and uh, good luck to you guys this week. Thank you so much, Stanek.